0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, a teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go educate, advocate, collaborate. Hi, Lauren. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited for this conversation. You guys, this will go down as the longest pre-record button conversation that I've ever had. Lauren and I just talked business for about 48 minutes.
1: (laughs) It was so fun. I'm so excited to be here with you, Ashley. Oh, my gosh. We obviously could talk forever because we just did. Let's just start off
0: by doing an introduction. Share about your background, your business, what you do, who you are. Give us all the D.
1: Awesome. So I'm Lauren McKenzie. I have many hats that I have worn through the years. My favorite hat to wear is wife to Rhett and mom to our two children, Stephen and Maddie Beth, who at the time of this recording are in fifth grade and third grade. But through the years, some of the other hats that I've worn have included being a teacher. I was um, in the classroom for 16 years and have taught every grade from pre K to 12 for at least one year in those 16 years. And I have also Moved into a space of being a certified professional life coach because of some of the experiences that I had as a wife and a mom and a teacher. And that's the professional journey that I've been on. Uh, what I do now is, you know how when kids are misbehaving and it causes the grown-up to get like emotionally overwhelmed? And then that wreaks havoc in the whole life. Yeah. I can't relate at all. Nope. Oh, of course not. Nobody can. So what I do is I show grownups how to get control of their own emotions so that they can um, positively engage with their kid, get their child to cooperate, lose overwhelm and show up as their best version of themselves. Because I know that we all want kids to remember, mom loves me my teacher really cared and so i serve parents and teachers and organizations who have frustrated grown-ups that really just want to be their best self so i do think that i know myself sometimes i
0: listen to a podcast and i listen to that part and i'm like eh, skip and i have a feeling that every single person that just heard that was like yes please i'll listen to this one
1: <laughs> i'm so glad I'm- that they're here <laughs>
0: there is a need for you. Thank you. Thank you for that incredible, incredible work. So let's, let's just dive right in and let's talk about behavior. Let's talk about what behavior is, right? Like I always say that there is behavior. And when I talk about behavior, I talk about like I call it human behavior. So, you know, human behavior, what do we do? We eat, we sleep, we, you know, itch our eyebrow. There's, we, we have human (laughs) behaviors that are like, I like to touch this one particular part of my head. That's a problematic. It's just something that we do. When I was a kid, my mom would pick on me about stuff. My mom's like a perfectionist. And she'd pick on me and I would say, mom, it's part of my personality, you know, like I fiddle with things. Well, yeah. turns out I have ADHD. Routines, you know, that's kind of human behavior. But then we also have problematic behavior, you know, and problematic behavior might be aggressive. It might be disrespectful. It, it could be all sorts of, of different things mm. And I think sometimes we need to work on those everyday behaviors, change our routines, change our strategies, whatever. And sometimes we need to work on problematic behavior. Do you agree with that? Like, what's, does that ring
1: true to you? So I think that, that most people probably also agree with you that it's either regular behavior or problematic behavior. But, and I can see that perspective. But I like to look at behavior as communication. And so I see it as regulated communication and dysregulated communication. Because if we're scratching our eyebrow and we're regulated, then no harm, no foul to anybody and everybody's day moves along. But if I'm tapping the desk and it's bothering somebody else, then that is what feels like a regulated behavior to me, but it's causing dysregulation for others. And so there is the regulated version of the ways that we interact and communicate and the dysregulated version of how we interact and communicate. So yes, and I think that there's room to definitely make adjustments and improvements and fine tune all forms of interactions and communication that we have. So on one level yes, I agree, and on the other I like to think of it as regulated or not regulated instead of regular and problematic.
0: Yeah, and I think also that's that's a really great way of saying it. And even as a caregiver myself like you know, a a regular behavior that I would like to change is, I don't know, like, let's say diet and specifically within diet, maybe like eating after dinner. Well, why am I eating Mm -hmm. after dinner? Right. Like I've read enough about nutrition to know and ADHD to know that I want a little (laughs) dopamine hit. I want some carbs before I go to bed. But then I also have read enough to know that that wakes me up at two o'clock in the morning. So as eating after dinner, Disrespectful or aggressive or necessarily problematic. No, my BMI is healthy and nobody else cares unless I'm chewing with my mouth open. Nobody else cares, but it's something that I want to fix and it's become problematic because I wake up at two o'clock in the morning. So, you know, it's like it all does kind of intertwine. But as you're saying, behaviors, communication, that is my body, my ADHD profile, yes. my adrenal hormones saying, give me a rush. So how do I get the rush or how do I avoid the craving to get the rush at nine o'clock? Yeah. at night? Because that's obviously not hopeful.
1: <laughs> or how do you substitute a different form of dopamine to give yourself the same hit you're looking for right. and keep you regulated so that your stomach doesn't yell at you that you'd like a dopamine hit right now and you can still get that. So it's learning a different way to communicate with yourself or with mm-hmm. other people about keeping yourself and others regulated. Oh, a replacement behavior. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Oh, when,
0: when our human behavior becomes parallel, to problematic behavior. And you know, Lauren, I mean, seriously, we're normalizing behavior, right? Like that, yes. that right there just totally normalized problematic behavior in the classroom for me. And that's the kind of stuff yes. I try to tell parents all the time and teachers. Like we are, and this is this is the kind of tangent that I get on, but <laughs> we just talked about my I randomly thought about eating after dinner. As an example, but I can tie that back to a child that clears the bookshelves and slips them over because it's it's all the same. It's all behavior
1: and it's all trying to communicate something, right? That's right. That's right. And it's just a regulated or dysregulated form of that same communication piece. Yeah.
0: So then let's talk about that regulation piece, like emotional regulation. Where does emotional regulation come in? And then as parents... I know that we need to. So don't we need to validate our kids' feelings and include our kids' feelings as we parent and then also modulate our own emotions if for no other reason than to set that example? Like how do we, as is, is we're parenting or leading kids in our classrooms, how do their emotions and our emotions need to come into those supports?
1: Yeah. Regulating our own behavior is the critical piece to helping a child regulate their behavior, that co-regulation skill. And just in full transparency, like part of my story is that our son was dysregulated as a child and he went through years of dysregulation. And that escalated me and caused me to be dysregulated. And as a special area teacher, I had the privilege of teaching every child in the school. So I had hundreds of students that I was the teacher of record for. And as you can imagine, many of those children were also dysregulated, right? So I was dysregulated from dealing with a dysregulated child at home headed into the classroom to deal with more dysregulated kids, which further dysregulated me to go home to deal with our dysregulated child again. And you can see how terribly this cycle played out. And it was not until I learned how to regulate my own emotions that I was able to be creative and effective with either our own children at home Or the kids at school. And once I learned to regulate myself, I was able to show up in a creative way and not just like, I'm here to get the job done. I'm here to collect my paycheck, which really improved our quality of life as a family. And it improved my enjoyment of my work and my pleasure and my family. So it improved everything. So I think that regulating our own emotions is the critical part. Now you also asked about validating our children's emotions and I like to think of it instead of as validating them, I like to think of it as like building security and safety for them because what we know about brain science is sometimes when we get in that dysregulated state where we're fight, flight, or freeze, our brain starts telling us messages that simply aren't true. And we think that they're true because it's what we're currently experiencing. But sometimes our feelings can't be trusted because our brain's trying to protect us, right? And so instead of validating something that is not true for my child, if I can create a safe environment to help them to learn to sift what is truth and what is lie, then I have served my child better in the long run. And that is true whether we're talking about our own kid, somebody else's child in the classroom, or whether we're talking about a spouse who is dysregulated in their own emotions and we're frustrated with them. It's human behavior, not child behavior. You just gave me a humongous epiphany. I have been struggling (laughs) with this
0: one thing with my Jack forever. So Jack, when he gets hurt, he doesn't want help. And in fact, he gets mad at the person that is, he almost always has somebody supporting him, right? Like his brother's walking in the parking lot with them or I'm doing homework or whatever. If he gets hurt or like instantaneously annoyed, you know, like a loud noise happens. Then he blames the other person and he will literally say it's your fault, which is, yes, I realize on the Vanderbilt form does he take accountability for his own things or the, or external <laughs> things? No, he does not. So that's ADHD. But he gets so dysregulated that you can't help him. And I'm afraid he's actually going to get hurt and that he is going to become so immediately dysregulated that paramedics aren't going to be able to go to him and they're going to have to sedate him and, you know, with. Down syndrome and like neck stability and all that stuff, like really scary stuff could happen. So, right. and of course my anxiety brain goes to like, and then he's going to die. So right? We, I have been talking about neurodiversity affirming ways to support him when he trips and falls and he gets mad at you. And like, I'm giving him all kinds of replacement strategies or words like, ouch, that hurt instead of like, mom, it's your fault. And then cussing at me or something. And like, then afterwards, I'm trying to circle back and be like, we need each other and people help one another. And it, when I get hurt, I need help. Sometimes dad helps me and we try to model it. And I'm like, really trying to focus on this. But you just gave me the word our brains trick us into yeah. thinking that we aren't safe in an experience. So we yes. then become so dysregulated. So it's not um, disrespectful to him. To be like, right. no, you actually needed my help. Because, like, I don't want to disrespect him and be like, no, no, let me hug right. you. What you need is a hug. You right.
1: know what I mean? Like, oh, my gosh. That's exactly what it is. Oh, no. yes. I, I'm so glad that that was helpful to you. And that's why I do what I do so that I can help grown ups separate the truth from the lie so that they can move forward cooperatively and collaboratively with their child with their their team that they're working with and quite frankly with the people that they have to interact with out in the regular part of the world that has nothing to do with the care of a child with special circumstances well that's um, the it helps us to get along well that's the risk. I think, especially with kids that whose
0: disability impacts them more significantly, that's the risk. Like, I can take all the, I can be neurodiversity affirming all the time and not get anything back in return. Like, I don't actually have to teach Jack for myself, I love you, therefore you have to love me. I gave you this courtesy, therefore you have to give it to me. I'll open it right. for him, I'll put his shoes on, and he can pull my hair out if he wants to. Because I love him and that's what love is. And I know he loves me back. But... That is not teaching him one thing about going out into the community. And like, fortunately, we don't have that extreme of a situation, but that isn't the situation for every person in the world. And that isn't the goal. The goal is inclusion because we know that all of our communities for our self-advocates and for our um, people that don't have disabilities or aren't impacted as significantly by them, we all benefit when we are all together. Um, And so we we have to account for the people that are going to be patient and understanding and the people that aren't.
1: And, you know, if we can share the message of this is why my, I'm behaving this way. Like when we are in a regulated state, if we are able to communicate, hey, a dysregulated moment is just a communication where I don't have the skills to, to communicate with you. I'm scared. I'm worried. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid. I need something. And instead, I'm just going to act crazy and drive everybody else crazy. If we can help the general community to know that dysregulated behaviors and commu- is, dysregulated behavior is a form of communication that someone is sharing with you and you have the opportunity to see it just as what it is as a communication that they have a need, that yeah. you might have the opportunity to come alongside of and meet in a gracious and empathetic way, then that creates safety. For all individuals, and by safety, I don't mean just physical safety. I mean the emotional safety to know that they're in a place where they can thrive. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So
0: that's the next question. But like to take that even further, because my brain just went like super far. Like I was about to say all movement, like all behavior. But then I'm like not even movement, like my parasympathetic nervous system over which I arguably have very little control. Is communicating all kinds of things: the pace of your breath, the pace of your heart rate, the ringing in your ears. That is all communicating something. Your heart rate and your breathing. If we just leave it there with your parasympathetic nervous system, like stuff that you really like, should you can control. But with mindfulness, like yes, to, yes, to Lauren McKenzie coaching is. <laughs> communicating when you're happy when you're stressed when you're sad Mm -hmm. when you're sleeping so like every bit of humanness is behavior and every bit of that is communicating something to you or to other people or other soul other living being like okay i just had to go really far sorry
1: yes well that was a great that was a great connection that you made and i think that if we start By being in tune with our own behavior and becoming aware of that and learning to regulate that, it gives us the emotional space to be able to be empathetic when somebody else is communicating with us in a dysregulated way so that we can approach them with grace and also truth. To To help them to experience what is actually going on. So, so that's the next question. Thanks. That was a really
0: like, come on, move on, lady. I know you didn't do it intentionally, but that was a good transition. No, I didn't. <laughs> so, <laughs> then the next question is one tip. Like you have a thousand tips and you talk about this a lot in the conference. And we're going to talk about the conference here in a second. But what... Like, give us one tip on how we can respectfully lean into our kids' emotions and respect them. Like, what can we do to validate our kids' feelings? You have a feeling, and that's okay.
1: Yeah. If I could only say one thing, it would be to respond instead of react. if you yeah. can respond to the communication of their behavior instead of reacting to it then you've given yourself a chance of having a graceful moment with your child and kids remember those mm-hmm. those moments that are intense and they remember how you respond mm-hmm. and so it's important to respond instead of reacting because those are those are the ways that we create trust with them. And if you don't have their trust, you can't help them to replace negative behaviors with positive ones and those sorts of things. So learning to respond is a super critical piece. Yeah. Yeah. It's If you if you can't
0: catch it with a proactive support, then that response is I like the way I like those two words respond instead of react. And that made me think about my own dad. One of the best examples I learned from my dad, you know, our parents really help our own behavior. Mm -hmm. And my dad was so respectful that if he reacted impulsively, he would always apologize. My dad rarely raised his voice. He rarely said something impulsively disrespectful. But if he did, like, well, you do look like a, hooker in that short skirt. Your mother's right. Go change. I don't know. (laughs) I'm trying to think of an argument would I had with my mom. (laughs) And, you know, all teenagers have a few of those and their skirts get too short. I don't know what it was. Yes. If my dad did say something that was disrespectful, which was really rare, so rare that I can't even think of an example, he would apologize. And what's crazy is I can't think of an example But I can think of a lot of feelings that I had when my dad would apologize.
1: Yes. So I will never. Oh, I'm so sorry. But that's crazy
0: that that's what you remember.
1: Like, I don't remember
0: one thing that he ever said to me that was like so disrespectful. But I do remember the apology.
1: Yes. I will never forget the first time that I had to apologize to our son he was in that we were we were in that cycle of dysregulation that i talked about a few minutes ago and i just lost my apple cart like i'm not talking about a few apples came out i'm talking about there were apples all over the road okay and um i was mad and we were trying to get somewhere i i buckled him in the car seat probably not very Politely in a polite manner. And yeah.
0: it was driving the elbow,
1: down the road. Like the elbow holds the knee and then I'm pretty sure. Shoulder. Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was one of those type of buckle oh, yeah. in circumstances. And I will never forget, I was driving down the road and I was just very convicted that I needed to apologize to him that I had been unkind. You know, I had not been gracious. And I took the time to apologize and explain. It's not OK for Mommy to treat you that way, and I am sorry, will you forgive me?" And he was so confused by the fact that Mommy was apologizing um, for the way that I had behaved, but it became a norm in our home, and it became a place where, even, a, you know, in the midst of a whole lot of mess, there were some beautiful things that started blooming. And, and being willing to find that place of learning to respond instead of react. And when I do react to repair that, I mean, that's called in, in the world where I work, it's called rupture and repair, you know, yeah. you have yeah. a rupture and then you repair it. And what we know from brain science is that when you properly repair a rupture, your connectedness to your child is actually strengthened. Yeah. So I think that's really that's really great that you have those remembrances that your body remembers what it feels like to be treated so respectfully from a parent.
0: Well, what's interesting is when you're the apologizer, I remember the first time I lost my apple cart only I would not have caught up my apple cart. So that's really, you know, and I was so disappointed in myself and I have anxiety, so I ruminate. I'm, I'm probably still ruminating about it. And I'm going to ask Griffin, he was three, I'm going to ask him if he remembers the first time I ever had to apologize to him. Because, I I mean, I doubt he remembers when he was three, but I I wonder if he remembers me starting to apologize to him or if he remembers that there's always a safe place to do that. Because he's 16 Mm -hmm. and he is pubescent, but he will still apologize. And he and I communicate really well by text. I think that's another Mm -hmm. big key. I hope I'm not, like, spoiling all of your internal secrets. Oh, no.
1: I'm just loving hearing your insight.
0: Like my husband, when we first when we first got married, you can communicate whenever you want. You know, like two jobs, mm-hmm. you have to work out when you want, and go to the grocery when you want, and and empty your right. bladder away, and all those like privileges of of life, right? Your teacher, <laughs> and then when we had Griffin, we started talking at the dinner table because we had a, a human with us, and we were we had togetherness, but we could still have adult conversation. And then when we had a toddler or like a talker, or, you know, we had to like talk so that once he started to be like human, we, you know what I mean, present. I um, do. We, my husband would say to me, Why are you talking to me about this on a Tuesday at nine? And I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. Do we have like a scheduled time where we talk about (laughs) Brandon? But what I had to figure out was, like, for him and me, we needed a a time where we could have conversations. We literally needed a schedule. And then for my son, how we communicate, he and I communicate super well in the car, which somebody taught me. Mm -hmm. They don't leave and you don't have to make eye contact.
1: Ah, yes.
0: And by text. We communicate Mm -hmm. super well by text. So sometimes I'll even save something. And he knows, he knows that I wait and communicate by text. But like sometimes I'll say, you know what, let's just do this tomorrow. And he knows that that means I'm going to text him during third period.
1: <laughs> oh, well, you know, I think you're right that understanding how our children or spouses or any other relationship you have in your life, professional or pleasure, how people want to be communicated with, I think that's really important. In our home, we want to be face to face or side by side. And instead of scheduling communication, my husband and I schedule time apart so that we don't have to listen to each other communicate, mostly so that he has a break from listening to me talk. But (laughs) if I'm being honest, but (laughs) we call it porch night. Like he has a man cave and he like uses that as his time to decompress from listening to the rest of the world's troubles since he's an LPCS, but it's just good to have a rhythm with the people that are important to you. And if they're not yet important and it's a new relationship, learning to create rhythms because those rhythms create feelings of safety. And when somebody feels safe, yeah, yeah, when somebody feels safe, then you earn the opportunity to help them with dysregulated communication.
0: Yeah, they have to feel
1: safe. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. Oh my gosh.
0: Lauren, I am sure that you talk about this far, far more in your course and in your coaching. Tell people what you offer and where they can find it.
1: Yeah. So I work with people in lots of different ways, but primarily through speaking through digital resources, and through one-to-one virtual or group coaching. And what I love to do is hear people's stories and understand their unique circumstances and then give custom recommendations about the best way that they can move from chaos to calm because that, that journey is not going to look the same for everybody. Now I do have some curated resources ready to go and that sometimes is a great fit for people but I love to hear people's stories whether it's in email form or face-to-face conversations on Zoom or other video conference platforms just being able to be a part of people's lives and guide them through that process so they don't feel alone that's it's my joy to bring hope To families in that way. So the best way to connect for people that are looking for resources is to visit my website, which is winwithkids.co. There's no M on the end, just winwithkids.co slash connect. And if they visit there and put their information in, then it will give us a way to start a conversation. And there's also, I can send a link to an online course where I can walk you step-by-step through things. You can even put it in the show notes. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. That'll make it easy for people. But yes. Yeah. But for for people that want to have a conversation and get some input on where do I go from here? Like, here's where I am. What do you suggest? I'd love to connect with them on that site.
0: Womenkids.co
1: slash connect. So before we wrap up,
0: you like talking to you and interacting with you because you just spoke at our conference. And I have to say like people that are so present are really attractive to me. Like I love to talk to people that take the time to actually write an email. In today's day and age, we get so many things like, Hey, can I have an extension? And it's like, greetings. I sometimes I write back to people, my friends, like salutations. So <laughs> like, Where did we skip the pleasantries of life? And so, but then I make fun of my dad who always starts my text yeah. message, Ashley, comma, and it and they go yes. off dad. I'm like, it's a text, dad. But right, in spirit, you guys like Lauren had surgery days before our conference and she still showed up and she was amazing. She's like, I'm irritated by this stitch in my mouth. I'm like, well, you're <laughs> the sweetest thing in the universe. Why did you come? <laughs> But I love that. I think that you practice what you preach and that presence, that mindfulness, that that is deliberate. And I think like some people. Oh, okay, okay, Of course. For some people, that's like really, really natural. But I've talked to you now enough to know that that is not super innate to you, but it's very deliberate. And that's what you talked about at the conference. And I really appreciate that. Like, deliberate concentration and focus on that. And I want for you to know that it shows. So why don't you give people like a 10 second commercial for what you did at the conference um, because those tickets are still available on demand
1: if they want to pick that up.
0: Awesome. I
1: wait, so you want me to tell them what oh, I shared at the conference? Tell people
0: like about your topic at the conference because it's just, it's so present in okay. you.
1: So we talked about hope for parents who just find themselves in overwhelming circumstances and how to move um, into a season of hope when you have felt overwhelmed. And I also shared with teachers who are feeling frazzled from all the demands that they are facing in their job right now and how to move from frazzled to flourishing. So I love guiding people through transformation seasons. And then launching them to use that transformation deliberately for the rest of their life. Just like you mentioned, and thank you so much for being gracious about my attentiveness. That is deliberate. And that was a transformation that happened in me that now I practice. And I love helping other people to create those same transformations that I went through. So that's that was what I shared in the conference. and. I loved visiting in other presenter sessions as well. That, that pass is 100% worth it because there was some fabulous information shared.
0: Well, we'll get, we'll get a link up to that in the show notes too. Lauren, thank you. You were such a gift to the world and
1: you are a friend of Ashley Barlow Company. So thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me.